Good morning. Hello, everybody. So it's so nice to see everybody here. So thank you so much for coming. Those who are visiting us this morning, thank you so much for, for coming as well. Just remind you, um, Pastor John will come back next week. So I come today, and um, it's always nice that I come here, and then John was going to preach next week just in case I don't do a good job. So you come again if you're a visitor. Give a chance, you know. But it's so good to be here. Um, we were talking about some different things uh, during the Christmas season, so different characters, different, you know, it's been so great to hear all the different characters that came about Christmas. You know, it's very interesting for, for a pastor. It's really, it's a privilege, but it's really hard talking at Christmas because it's the same message every single year, right? So the challenge for us is to always look at something new on the different characters that you see uh, in the scriptures about Christmas time. So John asked me to speak on Mary, which is my favorite and, um, uh, character in the Christmas nativity. So anyways, one of the things I was thinking about, and maybe we were going to have a different take on the story, and you are going to be challenged and you're going to be tempted to rush into the story. We do that constant when it comes to to passages that we know very well. So I want to challenge you to not do that, to embrace the story of Mary as we walk through together. Think about if you were there, first century, you're right there with Mary witnessing everything. So that's the challenge I have for you because your brain wants to rush through the story because you already know what's going to happen. So I was thinking about the story of Mary and I was thinking about some of the things that she has to endure. Because sometimes we just make the story very romantic about it, right? So you see that all the time. You see on TV, you see the nativity scene. I mean, I was looking another day, all the nativity scenes that we have around our house. And after a while, he was like, oh, it's so pretty. You know, it's, it's, it's so cozy. Oh, really? I mean, if you think about it, was it? You know, so that's some of the things, that tension I want to bring to the story today. And I was thinking about, and a lot of times, we people... We're trying to make sense of life. That's, that's how we are. It's amazing that we're always trying to make sense of our lives. You know, we want everything to make sense. We don't like any random, any random in our lives. Isn't that true? Like randomness is not welcome. We want to look into our, our lives and be able to see everything together as a complete puzzle. That's how we are. Even though you're not thinking that you do that, without thinking you do. You do that. You know, if you think about your lives when you are about teenager years and you're thinking about already some of the complete puzzle, you think, okay, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get out of college. I'm going to find a job and hopefully I find someone that, I, that I'll fall in love and then I'm going to get married and I'm going to have a, a, a beautiful spouse with me and then we're going to have kids and I'll have a wonderful job. And, and then my kids are going to grow up, and they're all going to be perfect. And then, and then they will go to college, and then they will take care of me, and then I will die happy. <laughs> Isn't it? We always think about that. And I, and I always think about, like, okay, is there something wrong? Think that? I don't think so. It's part of being human. It's part of being human. And, and I feel like sometimes 
And obviously, you know, I love when uh, I worked with teenagers for a long time, you know, and, and then after a while you see some things they didn't see, right? You experience a little bit of life, and the things they tell you, you know, about what's going to happen in their lives, and you say, okay, that, that's going to be a good lesson for you when, you, you know, you get out of college, life is not that easy. But you don't tell them that. You let them experience that. Because that's how we are. It's part of the human condition to one of things to make sense, right? But then there's a lot of things that happen to us. Along the life, we know, you know, hard to find a job that you loved, you know, something you're passionate about it. Something's a little more serious, like divorce happens. You know, you're struggling with that, and you're trying to make a sense of that. But why? Why God allows some of those things to happen in our lives? It makes absolutely no sense. You know, you projected your life, you were working hard for that, and all of a sudden, sickness happened. And then what? Why God allowed that to happen? We don't look at people, you know, and here's the thing. We don't look at people, and we shouldn't, in moments like that where people are struggling and say just like, oh, that's just life. Everything happens for a reason. If you have done that, don't do it. Okay? You have to be very careful when you say to someone, oh, everything happens for a reason. It might be true. But when you're going through some hard times, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that. Everything happens for a reason. But there's something in us that wants to make sense of things. And then we like we start looking at the randomness of life and we're trying to find purpose. We start asking why those things are happening. But again, it's part of our humanity to be that way. You know, when I was a kid growing up in Brazil, uh, I don't see much of that, which was not fun here, that part. There's a lot of fun things about U.S., but this is not fun. In Brazil, they used to have, everywhere you go, uh, we have a huge problem with ant piles everywhere. I mean, they build about this tall ant piles, tons of ants. And as a kid, that was my favorite thing to do. Uh, uh, we have a lot of other weird things there to put your hand on and keep for 10 seconds. Well, I mean, I'm not going to go to that. But one of the things we used to do is you get a big stick, and then you stick right in the middle, and then you watch what happens. You know, I, it's part of, again, it's part of being kids, right? So I put a stick in a uh, pile of ants, you know, and there's about this tall. So you put a stick in there, and you watch. And about three seconds, you see all the ants coming like... They come all over, all over the place, and they started to rebuild. That's what they're doing. They go like, a bunch of little engineer uh, ants. They start rebuilding what you just destroyed. And then you take the stick off, you know, brush it off, and you see again, and you start seeing there very quickly, like thousands of ants. They're just rebuilding that pile. And then you do another one, and we have fun doing that. I mean, I know. I was, you know. But here's my point. At no point in time... At no point in time, that ant stops, look up in the air, and says, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is random. Why you put a stick in here? They don't do that. No questions asked. They rebuild. That's the difference between ant and us. Okay? They don't ask questions. Animals are the same way. You know, a dog laying down, 
They're doing their dog thing. They come in the morning. You leave the house. They come there. <laughs> and you do that. There's 10 times the dogs still come. No questions asked. But we're different. We ask questions. And a lot of times you say, what's wrong with us? Why is that? It's part of who we are to find purpose. That's how we are. We are made in God's image. Do you believe that? If you believe that, God is a purposeful God. And we are like God in that sense. God brings order into, when there's chaos, he brings order. And there's something inside of us, the image of God, when there is struggles or randomness in our lives, we wanted to make purpose for. That's part of who you are wants to make sense of the randomness. It's how God created you to be. So there's nothing wrong about that, that you want things to go in certain order. You know, you look at uh, David in Psalms, right? Uh, Jordan, uh, there's author author that wrote the message, and he talks about that. He says it's cursing without cursing. It's Psalm, it's David asking God why this is happening, why there's so randomness around my life, and he's trying to find purpose. He's like us. But you, today, you and me, especially in a time of Christmas, there's something about, there's this expectation around Christmas time that we want all of us to have the best time ever, regardless what's going on in our lives, we wanted to have the greatest time ever, even if the things are falling apart, and that's part of the human condition. It's us trying to make sense, especially Christmas. We want everything. We have this expectation that everything is going to be uh, jolly, holly jolly Christmas, right? You heard that song by Bert Ives. He wrote in 1965, have a, jo- have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. No matter what's happening, it's the best time of the year. You know, the kids are fighting in our living room, and we're like, in the background, the song is like, have a merry Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Yay! But life can be hard, messy, complicated at Christmas time. For a lot of people, it's a sad time of the year. For some, you won't be able to spend time with your family. You're far from home. For some, it's a time of despair of losing someone who you love. And this time in the year just highlighted that. That person that is not around anymore. My heart goes for you. Christmas season is a sad time for some. And it just highlights pain. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of excitement. But for a lot of people, it's a time to remember pain. And how can we have hope, faith, while life is so hard and, in a sense, random? And I believe if we go through the chapters of Luke, that's the the mood in here. And that's what we're reading today. It's when life is very unpredictable... And full of surprises. Again, we like to romanticize the stories. But in reality, if you look at the life of Mary, 
It's a life full of randomness and difficult times. And I think we can learn a lot with that. We can learn a lot with Mary. And that's the mood of this passage in Luke chapter 1. It starts like this. Luke chapter 1, 1. Men have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses, remember this, and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you and for me. Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, this is a disclaimer from Luke. If you know the story of Luke, he investigated, he was a doctor, a person that wanted to make sure that the things were written the way they're supposed to. So this is not like once upon the time story. He's saying, I witnesses, and I carefully investigated everything that you know, that I know that the story that he's about to tell us, it's true. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a galaxy far, far away. So he's investigating the story. And the future generations, like we are coming after, know to get the story right. Okay? And then he moved on. So I'm going to jump quite a bit in here. So we're talking about verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I, I love that greeting. Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So now, what do we know about Mary? Her life was pretty much planned out, you know, at first. Um, we kind of have an idea or we can speculate a little bit about how was to live a life, to live a life in, in, uh, in her time. So what we know about her a little bit is that she was a teenager, probably around 13 to 16 years old. So in a way, if you can think, think about it, she was a high school student. Okay? So she grew up, and she's probably going to marry a guy that she hasn't met yet. Her husband's name was Joseph. And they will live in a place, probably a place where their parents told them to live, close by. And she probably won't love him first, but then eventually she'll learn how to, and then they'll have kids. And then maybe one day she'll be grandma, and then she'll get old and die, and nobody will know who Mary was because they live in a small town, and that's how it was. Very predictable life. Like the way we want our lives to be. That is the normal, predictable life that we all want. But the something happened. God had a different plan for Mary. In the midst of normal events, 
that was happening in her life, she, he decided to make things as we see as random, as hardship, which it is in a sense, or chaotic. But God had this plan of transforming humanity, saving humanity forever through a little girl called Mary. And that wasn't easy. Don't rush through the story. One thing for us to understand is a lot of times God's plan is not your plan, my plan. He sees very different than we see. And a lot of times our stories that we live, it's not even about us. The struggles that we face in life, sometimes it's not even about us. That's how God works. Verse 29, here's her response. I'll go slow for us to just get into it. Mary was greatly troubled, which you might say, of course. How often do you get a visit from an angel? She was troubled. At his words and wonder what kind of greeting this might be. Is that a bad news? Is that a good news? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And here's how her life has been decided. In the midst of all normality, she has an encounter with this angel. Her life would never be the same forever. This is the certainty of the angel. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of the father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Can you imagine 13, 14-year-old receiving this? Mary... I know you have plans for your life and your parents have plans for your lives, for your life. But this is God's plan. This will happen. Will happen. Mary's living a normal life and all of a sudden this happened. She probably put it down her iPhone and shut down Facebook. And embracing this new adventure in life. What? Give birth? That's not my plan. She was trying to make sense of this. Imagine receiving that news. Whatever she was doing at the moment, and an angel comes, and all of a sudden, all this happened. You were going to give birth. I can't imagine how her heart was like going 100 miles an hour, and her brain is trying to catch up with that. What is going on? Trying to make sense. And Mary's response is just like our response when randomness happened in our lives. Here's what she says, verse 34. How will this be? Duh. Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, which by the way, when we question God in that way, is not a sin. When we ask God why this is happening, that's not a sin. Psalms is full of that. Mary herself is asking, how? Why? God might not give the answer, 
But she's asking, I'm trying to make sense of this. God, why? How? How this can be? But the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now imagine how terrifying this is for her. All those words, all those things that she's hearing. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This all sounds so definite. As Mary has absolutely no choice on the matter. You're no longer living a normal life, Mary. The Holy Spirit is taking control. God is taking control of your life. And you have to make a lot of tough decisions. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine how random and crazy this appears to Mary? And the angel doesn't stop. He continues. He says, even Elizabeth... Your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Wow. Mary, if you have any questions about those things that are going to happen, I'm telling you, no word from God will never fail. I did a little bit of uh, translation on that last phrase. And it sounds a little bit, a Greek sounds a little bit like Yoda talking, so bear with me. But here's what it means. For not impossible with God is anything. Sounds like Portuguese when I'm speaking. But for not impossible with God is anything. It's going to happen, Mary. It's going to happen. This is certain. Embrace yourself. Perhaps... But Mary's perspective, everything is about to get more and more complicated. Don't rush through the story. And here's what happens. The angel said that. He gives this promise and he says, believe me, this is going to happen. And then he leaves. It's a very important part. He leaves. No angel anymore. So now Mary has to respond to her family she wished that angel stay with her because now she's pregnant. She is a teenager, a pregnant teenager, with absolutely no explanation other than an angel came to me and gave me this promise. She has to explain that to her mom. She has to go home and explain that to her dad. She's going to go to school they kind of homeschooled there, but you get it. And she has to explain to her friends that she's pregnant, and the Holy Spirit, God himself, the angel came and told her she's pregnant with the Son of God. Can you imagine how crazy that would sound to other people? And no angel. The angel left. She has no angel with her at this point. How do you think people responded to her pregnancy? Now, you got to remember, those are tough times to live. She could be stoned to death. There's a lot of bad things could happen to her. But things got more complicated. So, a month before her birth, uh, the birth of the child, 
So she was eight months pregnant. This is what happened. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Keep that in mind. She's eight months pregnant. Okay? It's very important. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Joseph could make that decision to go by himself, but some reason Mary wanted to go along. And they went together. Devastating news. I cannot imagine being the guy, the husband. I couldn't imagine being Joseph to give that news to an eight-month pregnant woman. We've got to remember, they have to go 100 miles to register. Not an airplane, not in a car. They have to use a little donkey. Can you imagine for those who experience pregnancy, your husband comes to you and say, Hey, guess what? I got you a donkey. And we're going to get in this donkey and we're just going to go all the way to Three Forks. And a little donkey and you were eight, mo- eight months pregnant. That doesn't sound appealing, does it? Joseph comes to Mary and said, Mary, I have a really bad news. The bad news is that we have the census going on to Bethlehem, and I know you're eight months pregnant, but let's go. Hooray. Which at any point, Mary is probably saying, where is the angel? Angel! No angel. And I know we have so many pregnancies in our church, and he's been, by the way, been a very celebrating life. has been great. So many pregnancies in this church, and it's been so good. By the way, John is a grandfather. Congratulations, John. Yeah. Right? But can you imagine you doing that? You asking your eight-month wife to go on a donkey. You know, I... I I'm not an expert in pregnancy, even though we had five kids. I don't dare to make any comments about it. But I will anyways. I, I'm going to. All right. So a few things I learned about pregnancies. You don't ask a woman if they're pregnant. I've done that many times, and I got in trouble by You don't come and say, are you expecting don't ever, ever, ever say that to any woman. You might be in trouble. Even if you're sure, you let them tell you that they're expecting. Never comment on how your, li- your wife looks when she's expecting. Or if she asks you, oh man, I'm not feeling very good, you know, the way I looks, And you say, babe, you look beautiful. Just say it. You look beautiful. And another thing, you don't tell your wife you're going to be riding a donkey 100 miles. 
Seriously? Wait a minute. Greetings. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. At any part of the story you can question. Wasn't she the misfavored? The special one? And Joe, where are you? Right? Now here's an interesting story. This is an amazing story because it gets from worse to worse to worse. Verse 6 and 7, here's what it says. While they, were the, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. We always look at that, that part, wrapping in a manger. Oh, how beautiful. You know. And then you look, go online, and you find how the manger looks like. And you see all those animals, it's stinky. And they're eating food out of there. Oh, and then she placed him in the manger. How beautiful. All the stinky animals around. Because there was no gas room available for them. I don't know if it was Joseph's fault. But not good move. Not good for them. I imagine Mary and Joseph kind of feeling guilty. I don't know. But I, I, I think about it being in their shoes. Feeling guilty to not be able to offer it. I don't know if there's any part that they have a fault. But I imagine that they were feeling a little bit guilty, not be able to offer the best circumstances for the Son of God. At any point, you look at their story. Where is the angel? Not only that, Joseph had to deliver the baby. Probably, I mean, there's a lot of things about the law. But I imagine he was by himself with her. He had to do the whole baby thing. Okay. Five pregnancies. There's a lot of things I learned. And uh, some people say, oh, you must be expert. That is a hard thing. I imagine what Joseph had to endure. And I remember I'm not very good at the whole pregnancy thing, okay? Don't like blood. I love the baby. When the baby comes out all clean and you say, oh, it's my son. It's my daughter. That's a beautiful, miraculous thing to happen. But I'm a basket case. The whole thing, you know, no. no, baby number five, I think I was the worst of my behavior. You know, I'm a constant complaining. 28 hours, the whole deal. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, honey, I'm going to be with you the whole time. I'm going to hold your hand and look in the eye. And there are six people in the room. There's all these people doing. And I'm like, are we paying for all these people? I mean, what they're doing? Can we just pay three to do all this job? I mean, they're all in a room doing different things, and then you're like a girl with a thing with lights on, and she's in her phone, and we're just like waiting for her. And all this thing happened. And then the doctor is doing the, the whole thing, you know, and I'm like, okay, so she, she's doing what she's supposed to do, and then there's a nurse with her, and then she's like, I need your help. I'm like, no, you do not need my help. I'm holding her hand. I'm looking her in the eye. No, grab an ankle. No, no, you grab an ankle. You're going to do it, the whole thing. Six people in the room. I pay for this. You do the thing. I'm looking her in the eye, and I'm focused on this, okay? And I'm complaining about how my foot hurts. And, you know, Casey's looking at me, and she's just an angel. She's like, you're going to be okay, honey. Are you all right? And the whole thing is happening. Horrible person. I'm not good at it. And then in the end, you know, they do all the things. I'm like, oh, babe, this baby... 
oh my goodness, it has a lot of hair, and it has a huge football head. She's like, he look, is he cute? I'm like, no, he's not cute. He's not cute. He's horrible. His nose like this, you know, his head is huge. I look at the nurse like, is he going to be okay? Do we have to have a big hat or something? Not good. Oh, you cut the umbilical cord. Do you want to do that? No, again. You were paid to do this. Leave me alone. Right? Hold the hands. Look in the eye. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> not, not only she had to ride on a donkey for so long, but there's no room, no place for this baby. Where is the angel? Where is it? We take any part of the story and then we ask why God allowed this to happen. But here we rush to the end of the story, right? But I imagine how hard it was for Mary and Joseph. Why God allowed this to happen? What's the purpose of all this? I know that the angel said some things, but it has been a long time without no angel. Is this true? What's the purpose? You can say this, you can say, well, everything worked out, you know, because we know the end of the story. But the reality is, Mary lived the whole entire experience. She had to. Miss Favor, Miss God is with you. And we go from bad news to bad news. That's a struggle. I'm going to jump into Matthew chapter 2. We don't have up on the screen, but Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 23. And here's what it says. When they had gone, he's referring to the Magi and the shepherds. This is after the baby was born. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord. Here's the angel. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. There's the angel giving bad news. Get up. They're after the kid. And again, they have to go on a donkey and go through a very, very hard journey with thieves with a little baby, not just a baby, baby Jesus. Devastating news. Someone is after the child. You go from Magi and shepherds worshiping Jesus to get up and run away. And we see that over and over and over and over with the story of Mary and Joseph. Mary lived to watch. Later on, she lived to watch her son die. I can't imagine the pain it was to see her son die. Terrible death on the cross. And you look through the whole thing and you might ask, did God lose control? Did God lose control? You might be asking the same thing about your life or somebody else's life. Did God lose control? We can see the end of the story, 
but Mary didn't. Did God lose control? No. The highest point of God's activity in humanity, the highest activity of God in humanity is through Mary. And maybe she didn't even know for sure. God is planning to save the humanity once and for all by Christ dying on a cross for our sins, and Mary was part of it. The very moment that everything looks lost or God lost control is when God is the highest level of activity in this humanity through Mary, providing a way of salvation to humankind in Jesus. And read the story of Mary, who's called the favorite of God, who had to experience so much trouble, uncertainty. And during this Christmas time, we're reminded that we are also favor of God. But that doesn't mean problem-free. That doesn't mean that it won't happen randomness in our lives, but it does mean Emmanuel. God with us. Now we go back and remember this promise that was given to Mary. Greetings, your highly favorite. The Lord is with you. Even if in the story doesn't look like God was with Mary. In the midst of your trouble, God is with you. C.S. Lewis, he writes this. I know now, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. Because you are yourself the answer. Emmanuel, God with us. And what that means is Jesus himself experienced all. In Hebrews, talk about that. He experienced all. He experienced rejection. He experienced physical pain. He experienced death. He can relate to our pain, all the pain he experienced. He is with us. He can relate as someone that can relate to us, not someone that doesn't understand us. Whatever expectation you have this season or past memories or the future, just remember this. God is with you no matter what. If your family is suffering a loss this Christmas season, just remind you God is with you. If you're fearful about something happening in your future or in your life, God is with you. And I'll finish with this. After the angels, the angel visit Mary, even without understanding completely God's plan, having a little bit of a glimpse of the promise, Mary says this, and that's what I hope you say as well. Verse 38 in Luke chapter 1. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to be me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. 
May your word to me be fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to take the time to just embrace the plans that you have for us. The difficult times that we go through. That even though we expect life to be not random, not chaotic, at times it's part of your plan. You allow that to happen. But in the end, you're a loving God. You're a God that loves us so much that you die on a cross for our sins. We pray today that for all those who are in pain, for all those who are struggling during this Christmas season, that you help us to hold in that promise of the Emmanuel, that you are with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.